So take your Bibles out. You can go to Genesis 1-1 and then put your finger there, or you can just remember that verse. I think most of us have that memorized. That was one of the first ones I memorized as a kid. Um, but we're also going to be in Psalm 33, so you want to turn there. Psalm 33, 9 through 11. Creation and providence this week as we continue our foundation series. So let's um, read those texts and then we'll pray. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33, 9 through 11. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Psalm 33, 9 through 11. Let's pray. Our Father and most holy God, we come before you as a people in need of divine direction. As the immutable and unchanging God, we cry out to you to aid us in our time of trouble. The world is in desperate need of reformation, and we know that it is your desire to use us to do the reforming. In order to accomplish this, we confess that we need to be sure that we ourselves are reformed and that in, in accordance to your word. So help us, Holy Spirit, to hear and apply this word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I designed uh, this foundation series to have a snowball effect. Uh, each week builds on the other. My hope is that by the end, of course, we'll have this fully developed biblical worldview and the reason for that is for us, in, in order for us to take the land captive for the crown rights and the covenant of King Jesus. Um, if anything from 2020 and 20, going into 21 has taught us anything, it's that uh, the world desperately needs to get back to its foundation in Christ. Um, and so we have a unique opportunity, historically speaking, to, to do that. So we need the biblical worldview to be able to go out into the world, and that's part of why I wanted to do this series the way I did. So uh, the, the subtitle was Intentional, you know, Foundations, Biblical Doctrines for the Future of Christendom. The, I chose that intentionally. Um, many, many churches and pastors, um, unfortunately, um, I'm convinced, have been teaching and proclaiming a version of Neoplatonism without even knowing it. And that's why our, our culture has become this obstrepor obstreperous and noisy mess, clanging symbols everywhere. So when you, when you teach Christians, we, when you teach that Christians ought not to spend much time thinking about material things, that's where the Neoplatonism comes in, ignore the material things and only focus on the spiritual. When you teach that you shouldn't focus on material things, but only focus on spiritual things like praying and reading your Bible and going to church, which are all good things, mind you, you end up with this truncated, what we call dualistic, Neoplatonistic view of the world. And that's why the church is so far behind on discussions on masks and vaccines and general uh, views of health. Um, it's, we're just way behind, and that's because we've not taken the gospel and the kingdom and the, the biblical worldview we have in God's law and applied it to those matters. Instead, we've just said, well, trust the experts who change their opinion like a mother changes the infant's diaper um, every five minutes, it seems like. <laughs> So that's, that's why we, we can't, we, that's why we're in the mess we're in. We haven't taught value in the created order. We haven't taught that material things are to be stewarded. Um, Eli and I were having this discussion, I think it was yesterday or Friday, but uh, just this issue of money, like how, what, how should we view money? Isn't it just evil? And 
So we got to talk about, well, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Uh, some people misquote Paul and saying, well, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. The love of it is it, when you take an inanimate object and then you make it into an idol, that's when it, things go sideways. Hence the Federal Reserve and our need to abolish that. Anyway, getting, getting off topic. So inevitably, though, when you teach this sort of dualistic worldview, um, you end up with a situation where instead of digging in the ground for gold and making something out of it, so to speak, or other metals and, and creating and using the creation to, to steward it and do good things with it, uh, the Christian ends up just sitting at home in his prayer, prayer closet, hand-wringing nervously about his beleaguered conscience. Oh no, what am I going to do now? I, instead of repenting and killing that sin and being and moving on from it, we sort of teach in the church that, well, you should just always be nervous about your state before God. So we're busy doing those things and not busy with the work of stewardship and dominion, and that's part of the problem. So what happens when the pagans get all the gold? Well, <laughs> we end up um, like Israel enslaved in Egypt, that sort of thing. So to be holy then because we all want to be holy. The Bible tells us to be holy. To be holy, then, is not to be determined by your immaterial spirituality, right? How many times you read through the Bible in a year, how many times you went to church, how many, all these different things, which are good things. It's not to be determined by an immaterial spirituality, but rather it should be determined by servanthood dominion that you exercise in both material and spiritual matters. And all of it's supposed to be informed by God's law. Now, the reason I'm going hard after this, we'll just call it an asinine view of the world <laughs> uh, that Christians have been perpetuating for the past 200 years, the reason I'm going after it is because at the very heart of these issues, whether you're talking about health freedom or um, the masking and all these different topics of the day, at the very heart of these things is a faulty view of the world and God's governance of it. So... I, I, I try to argue this in Health for All of Life, but this issue of worldviews that are sitting behind all of these, you have a Christian presuppositions, but then you have pagan presuppositions, and then when, when the pharmaceutical industry takes over the pagan uh, you know, system, then that's why we have what we have. So we have to address the foundations, and at the, at the very deepest part, it's a view of the world and what happens in the world. Um, and for us, we, we have a certain theological underpinnings that we need to confess. So there's this antithesis that exists out there. This antithesis is in everything, theology, philosophy, economics. There, it's, it's everywhere because it's, God built it this way. But there's an antithesis between good and evil. Christians can say, and we should grow in maturity to be able to discern what is good and what is actually evil. What is good and evil? The, what is just? What is unjust? Right? There's an antithesis between justice and injustice you you and we have to have a consistent view of those righteous versus unrighteousness and all of these things are predicated on the fact that god is the creator of the world and not just the creator of the world he's the sustainer of it too they go hand in hand so you you essentially have two options and i'm going to say these two options in different ways you have creation or you have this self-determined evolutionism you have uh, the personal God who has a personality or you have impersonal forces that are orchestrating everything in the world. 
You have providence or you have random philosophical abstractions. Uh, you have Christ or you have chaos. You have biblical law or you have socialism. Those are the antitheses that we have in, in the world. There's no neutrality. So those are the only, only two options. So either Christians are going to get serious about the fact that God is the creator and the sustainer, and we're going to take that to its logical end, or we'll just, oh yeah, God created the world, and, and then everything else from there is a train wreck. And then we end up with a cultural mess. So today we want to look at the doctrine of creation, and its necessary counterpart, um, arguing, is the doctrine of God's providence. So scripture, we kind of cover this in week one when we talked about infallibility in scripture, and then last week, the doctrine of God. Um, that was last week, right? <laughs> Just my weeks seem to be running together. Um, scripture itself doesn't try to make a case for God. Rather, it presents God as the maker of all things. It wasn't in the beginning... God tried to just do some things to make himself known. That's not what we find. The, the Bible doesn't try to just make a, a case for God. It just assumes what is already there, namely God himself. So it shows us, the Bible shows us the wondrous works of God. It tells us of all the wondrous things he's done. In fact, he, he invites us, and we might say he commands us then to be in awe of him as a result. We're supposed to be in awe of him. All of life, including God himself and his own person, is an abundance of energy and power and creativity. And all of it is good. All of it is good. God created it good. Creation is God's work. And remarkably, God is actually quite delighted about his work. It makes him, he's happy about it. He only does that which is good anyway, but he's happy about it. His works are great, Psalm 92.5. His works are wonderful, Psalm 139, 14. His works are done in faithfulness, Psalm 33, 4. And they are just, Psalm 111, 7. The Bible also says in Psalm 145, 10, that his works actually praise him. So the works that he does, the things he's done in creation, um, I, anybody else this week, you go outside and you hear the birds and they're just singing away. And uh, I'm, I think we were outside talking about that. I'm like, this is great. The birds are just singing praise choruses to God. And uh, after being bludgeoned by winter <laughs> and ice, it's nice to have <clears throat> some sunshine and some um, clear blue skies that don't seem to be clear anymore. Um, thank you, Bill Gates. So we have all these um, things to rejoice in, and, and God's works and his creation actually does praise him for it. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So the reason that creation and providence goes together is because the works of God in the world come from God's mind, and it comes from God's will. God is a personal God who has determined to create out of the abundance of his own sovereign being and purposes. That's just what he chose to do. Creation itself was a deliberate act from a decisive person. Cre that's our confession, the Theology 101. Creation was a deliberate act, God did it on purpose, from a decisive person. And the Bible calls it God's counsel, his decree, his purpose, his ordination, and sometimes the Bible calls it God's own pleasure. So let's look at the text. <clears throat> Can we crack a, crack a window there, Eli? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us at the very start that God is the source of all things that exist. (laughs) God is the source of all things that exist. The world didn't come about by blind chance or some nefarious or nebulous destiny, um, some unreasonable or malignant will, or even really some natural energy that just existed out there in space. The world is a, what we call an open world, one in which God from the outside, he ordains and he orchestrates it. It's not closed in that all we have is the material. So that's what we mean by open or closed universe. The governance of all things rests in the hands of the creator God. Philosophers and scientists and ostensible experts, uh, they all cast their opinions in the public square, vying and jockeying for attention and credibility. It's, it's just like Fauci is paid to go on and, and just say stuff all the time, and he's paid quite handsomely. So in any of them that do not go and they vie for these things, if they don't start with the triune God of the Bible and his creation of the world, they're all doomed to failure. They cannot, nor can they be, intelligible or consistent. So think about evolution or pantheism, and I'll explain that shortly. But evolution and pantheism, for example... They both spring forth from faith commitments, certain assumptions about the world, certain um, assumptions about its existence. So every worldview has a presupposition about the world and how the world exists the way it does. But the Bible just tells us from the very beginning, right at the very beginning, that God created. That's it. God created. Uh, The personal God who reasons with wisdom and understanding and perfect volition he is the creator. It's not, a, it's not a mere potentiality that was floating around in space waiting for something magnificent, right? It wasn't the infinity stones just fly, floating around in space, um, as fun as, of a story as the Avengers saga is. That's not the origin of everything. The origin of everything stems from an immutable being, the God who does not change. God's being in and of himself is never becoming. God isn't evolving over time as he learns new things. We, we talked about this last time. But the world itself, the world's being is becoming. That's, it's becoming what God desires. The world is supposed to be going somewhere. It's this flood of redemption and glory. So that's our confession and belief about creation. So God brought everything out of nothing, which is to simply say that God and God alone existed in perfect being and by his own counsel and will he brought he he brought space and matter and time into existence when by the way when we say um, ex nihilo is the latin phrase but out of nothing we have to be careful when we say out of nothing because if nothing's there then nothing's there <clears throat> but god is there so we don't we have to be careful what we say when we say that it's not that nothing created everything but that God, who is not nothing, created everything. So there was no unformed eternal matter that was floating in space, uh, just floating around, and somehow it exploded into what we call the Big Bang Theory. No, God is the absolute cause of all things. He caused it all, and it happened. That's what the Bible tells us. I should also hasten to add that it's not that God created the world out of some necessity because he was lacking in himself, uh, that's the aseity of God. Um, it's not that he had need, and nor did he have um, sort of a surpu- uh, superfluous view, view of, of himself where he had too much of himself, so he just decided to make the world. <laughs> so 
It's not that he had a shortcoming or he had too much. It's just that he chose to do it. No outside force compelled God to create him, create the world. He simply did it out of his own loving kindness and out of his own grace. Now look at Psalm 33. For he spoke and it came to, to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So not only did God create freely and uninhibitedly did he create, he sustains it too. He rules over his creation. He is the ultimate sovereign. The world is not a cold, mechanical, empty, and indifferent place. It's a wonderful place. It reflects the sovereignty and the glory of the Lord. The purpose of creation is not creation itself. Rather, the purpose is personal. God imputes meaning to the world um, from himself. He tells us what things should be and the way they should be, and that's his law. Uh, God spoke, the psalmist writes, and it came to be. It was just his will to do so. He issued a command, it was so. He blesses nations, he curses nations, right? God's, God's counsel stands forever because no one can intimidate or blackmail God. So it's God's good pleasure to bring his glory to the earth in the creation of all things. And it is also his good pleasure to govern those creatures in such a way as to magnify God's glory and to dispense his eternal love upon them. So he is the highest good, and it's his intention to remain as such. You know, people are looking for the highest good in the earth. What is the highest good? Well, God is the highest good. Um, not, not the... Not, not big pharma, not, not big government, not big tech. They're not the highest good. God is the highest good. So creation then requires us to have this view of the world that is informed by God and rests on God. He made it. He sustains it. So when we talk about his providence, we need to sort of define that. His providence simply refers to his government, his, government, his guiding care of the world, um, the direction of history, the direction of space, the direction of time. God's eternal will, we know, is to be infallibly executed and determined so that his justice, so that his mercy, so that his grace can be on display in the world. God, think of it like a canvas. God made the world like a canvas, and he is throwing his grace and mercy on there, and he's painting something marvelous. That's God's intention. So a couple of Bible verses to consider when it comes to God's providence. Psalm 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Kind of a straightforward, you know, you can roll the dice, but it's ultimately the decision is the Lord's. Very meticulous, you might say, meticulous providence. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Lots of examples of that in scripture. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, God directing and orchestrating events, Pharaoh himself. Or how about Isaiah 45, 18, which says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed with the earth and made it. Who formed the earth, I should say, and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. <clears throat> when we speak of God's providence, then, we are simply referring to God's ongoing concern for the world 
and the activities in the world and how those things achieve his purposes and goals. God is involved in it all. God created the world, God is orchestrating the events of the world, and God governs the world in order to see to it that what he desires come to fruition. So this is providence. Um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said once that, that God is not bored of monotony. He sees the sunshine, he sees the lilies come up, he sees the flowers, and he's not born, bored. It's like a kid on a swing set who just wants to be pushed again and again. We should be in awe of that too. Lord, let's see the flowers again. Let's be enamored by your glory. <clears throat> now, God created the world in six literal days, and part of this creation was space and time. The, uh, the well-known theologian of the 4th and 5th centuries, Augustine, tells us that God didn't create the world in time, as if it had some pre-existing form, but rather, God made it together with time. So we assume from verse 1 of Genesis 1 that God created the heavenly host, the angels, then, and of course from Job 38, we know that they were present and they were rejoicing with creation. So some people have questions. Well, when did God create the angels? It seems to me from Job 38 that they were created right at the very beginning, right before God created the, the earth. They got to witness everything that was taking place and they rejoiced with God when that happened. Um, so it, essentially it was this display of glory to be marveled at, and so the heavenly host marveled at it. On top of the general creation statement of Genesis 1-1, we also have an escalation of the created order, an escalation. Um, the separation of light and darkness, the creation of the land and the sea, the, the creation of the sun and the moon, uh, the filling of the land and sea with creatures, and then the capstone of all of it in God's creation on day six was man and woman made in the image of his, of his glory. That's the capstone. So it's sort of like this escalation of day one through day six. Everything was pointing to day six, where God made a place for us to inhabit. That was the glory of it, glory of it all. <clears throat> so all of this tells us that in creation, there is a temporal order by which creatures come into being. There's a temporal order by which creatures, creatures come into being. So think of it like there's a rank to it. All of days, one through five, leads and converges on day six. Man, man is made. So in terms of religion or terms of ethics or morality or those types of things, man is the crescendo of creation. Um, we're going to get into this next week, but Psalm 8 talks about the goodness of man. Um, in, our, in the reform camp, specifically the Calvinist camp, we tend to be very excited about the depravity of man. <laughs> Uh, and in a lot of ways, we need to have a realistic view, no doubt. But we need to also affirm the glory of man, the glory of man and woman together being image bearers of God. So the world is this coherent unit. The animals are reproducing after their kind. You know, you don't have giraffes that turn into elephants that turn into fish, right? Kids, it's kind of an odd thing. I've never seen that before. I'm getting a weird stare here. But uh, we, we don't see those things. We see... Um, animals reproducing after their own kind. And of course, we see the same thing of man reproducing after his own kind as well. So in this coherence, there is a, there's, there's diversity, there's prosperity, um, there's growth, and there's productivity. There's essentially what we call the advancement of creation.
We learn from Genesis 1 and 2 that the world is finite, the world is temporal, the world is limited, and it's entirely coexistent with time. And we also learn that the world is good. It's a blessing to enjoy, a blessing to steward and develop over time. And not only this, we learn that God is both creator, he's sustainer, he's creator, and he's a steward. Um, <clears throat> deism teaches that God created, then went, a, went on a long walk. Sort of a failure of providence. <clears throat> this makes the world independent of God, and it's unaccountable to God. Um, when you think of the humanism of the world, Kant and Darwin and Hume and all these people, they uh, taught that essentially th these things are true, that the world was, was created, but God sort of just walked off and he's forgetting about it all along. Pantheism, though, on the other hand, conf conflates God and creation. They are the same thing. One being, um, not created necessarily, just existing together. Um, so there's no sustenance to the world. It's just God is, and nature are one. You, know, you go out in nature and you experience God. Well, you can do that, but he's not like in the tree. We don't bow down to the tree and worship it as God. God created the tree, um, and he's sovereign over it. So in the pantheistic worldview, God and creation are indistinguishable. They're just the same thing. And, and thus, <laughs> both being and becoming... Uh, the world is just whatever man wants it to be. You get to worship whoever you want, however you want. And of course, these are both very damaging. And they're both very present in our culture today. So what happens, though, when creation and providence are denied? What happens when we don't affirm that God created and that God sustains it? Well, the worst sort of delusion is the sinner thinking himself to be totally independent of God. That's the worst sort of delusion. Thinking that you can be independent from God. Today, people are buying this view wholesale. Man, in his immaturity, desires to escape the truth that the world comes from the infinite personal God. People try to escape this, this teaching. If it, comes from an impersonal, or if it comes from an infinite personal God, then man is not the maker of his own destiny, and he certainly is not able to govern himself. If God is not totally and entirely creator and governor, then man can make the world however he wishes. Uh, he can oppress other men. Now remember, the Christian position is not that God lets the world exist, but that he makes it exist. Big difference. It's not that he lets it exist, he just he makes it exist the way it's supposed to be. God makes and maintains the world from every hair on your head to every bird in the sky. Um, Eli saw a bald eagle on the way here this morning, and it's just a majestic bird. God's sovereign over that bird, too. So if this is not true, then, of course, subjectivism rules the day, and that's what we have going on in our world, nihilism. Now, <clears throat> why do I bring up nihilism? Nihilism is the belief that everything is meaningless. Nothing has purpose. Uh, you reject the creation, and you reject providence, and that's where you end up. If uh, nihilism is true, <laughs> that nothing has meaning then it's false, because if its definition is meaningless too, so now it doesn't matter. And now we're just existing and doing because of impulses and urges. And where those things come from, we never know, right? We just feel. A rejection of God and his being creator and a, and a rejection of his superintendency of the world leaves us in quite the quandary. If God didn't make the world and God doesn't sustain it, we're in trouble. 
Now what do we do? So we have this crisis, a crisis of metaphysics, like being, the nature of man. We have a crisis of morality. How could we possibly say what's right or wrong? And we have a crisis of epistemology. How do we know anything? How do we know that we know things? So if you reject creation and providence, you end up disintegrating into the void. You end up with oppression and, and meaninglessness. You just, you know, it's, think about cancel culture. Uh, you just keep canceling everything until the last thing left is you and you cancel yourself. That's, of course, the sure path to suicide. So you lose any moral standing. If this is wrong, then that is right. By what standard? And how do you even know? How could you ever know that you know something? These are the type of insane things that are going on on our college campuses, FYI, for your information. <clears throat> you see, we as Christians, we insist on the connection between creation and providence because creation implies the bringing into existence of something that did not exist and the maintaining of the existence of that thing. God has granted a cosmic purpose in the creation of everything, and by virtue of all of his creative impulses and actions, we can say that the world is not meaningless. It's not a meaningless existence, but it actually has a, an intentional existence. There's a purpose. God, has, God causes his creation to persist in this grand existence, Bavink says. God made man for a reason. People are walking around that don't have a reason much, especially when the government takes everything from you and locks you in your home. People are looking for meaning in all the wrong places. But of course, this leads to despair. The despair that we see in the world can be traced back to a rejection of God as the creator and the sustainer. If the world has this impersonal beginning, then there's no reasonable or justifiable explanation for anything in the world. The, the complexity of the universe just came from a large explosion, they say. And here we are trying to make sense of it. If this whole thing came from an impersonal beginning, then all of our aspirations are meaningless. All of our, it's all fruitless. Our moral inclinations are just figments of our imaginations, right? Chemical fizzing going on in your brain. Um, impersonality doesn't give rise to personality. So nothing in the truest sense gives rise to nothing. That's the view that we're supposed to believe. And that's why we insist on the triune God of the Bible being creator and sustainer. So if you reject this, just know you'll try to find meaning out of nothing. And it'll drive anyone mad. That's why a lot of these people were driven mad. Think of Nietzsche and all these other people. They were driven to insanity at the end because that's a logical conclusion. So nothing... <laughs> Nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense in the world. No other explanation can make sense. God is entirely and totally and completely surveillant over all things, including sin, death, and the destruction of man. So think about it this way. Where do you run when death occurs? Where do you run when things go bad in your life? How in the world are you going to develop any bit of personality, the emotions, the love, the empathy, the sympathy, the grace, the mercy, the judgment, the knowledge? How are you going to have any of those things that foundationally make us who we are in a lot of ways? How can you develop any of that if you don't start with the infinite personal God? If the world just came together because things just went boom, how can you make sense of anything? How can you have any personality? And the answer is you don't. If subjectivism of the world is true, then it's false. I mean, 
one would be a fool to believe that his subjective belief ought to take priority over someone else's subjective belief. If evolution is true, then it's false. For one would be a fool to think that his caring about his ape ancestors has any validity and concern for others. See, the universe has meaning, and it's derived from the God of the Bible. The world was meticulously fashioned in order for man to enjoy his maker. Sin entered into the world and broke this covenant. Yet God stooped down to bring us out of the mud and bring us into his kingly chambers. This meaning, derived from the Bible, is an exclusive meaning, one that can only be given by God. How else do you have assurance in the struggles of life? How, do you, how else do you have assurance in the adversity? How else do you have assurance in the attacks of the evil one or the accuser? Where else can we turn? God has the words of life. And we'll end with this. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Since God's purposes can never be thwarted or frustrated, the opposite is true. All things work together for evil to them who reject the Lord. May today you rest in his providential care of you and your family. May you know deeply the purpose for why you exist, children. And we all exist for the glorification of God. We, we exist to glorify him. And may we be diligent in aiding others to do the same, to see the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true and that we can uh, run to it, that you are a shelter in a time of need. You are our rock. We live in, a, in an age where a lot of people are trying to build their houses on sand, and, and we pray that you would help us to build ours on the rock of your word. Lord, may we be a witness and a guide to those who are assuming an erroneous view of the origin of everything, who don't have a healthy view of creation and certainly a, a, a don't have a healthy view of providence. We thank you that you are working all things together for good, so we trust in you today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.